0: And we're back.
1: And we're back. Sorry about the long hiatus, you guys. I know. A
0: whole two weeks without us?
1: I know. It was really quiet, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Uh, What what did people ever do without
1: us? (laughs) Probably lived their lives.
0: Unlike us. Yeah. (laughs) It
1: was a long two weeks. Yeah. During that two weeks... Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff happened. Oh my gosh. There was so much anime news. This, oh yeah. This last weekend we saw the wrap up of the Haikyuu stage plays. The Ngeku Haikyuu live action musical performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, It was their final show ever. Which these shows have been going on for a little over five years now. Uh, a lot of people got into the 2.5D industry because of these shows. So, I I even think there's a lot of actors in the 2.5D industry that their careers started because of this show, so uh, it was a pretty momentous moment for them to finally be hanging up the volleyball jerseys and calling it quits. So, Eventually the anime will get there, too, so...
0: (laughs) eventually.
1: Yeah. All of the actors involved in the show at any point were all sent a congratulatory gift. Mm -hmm. And a thank you, so... Uh, yeah. Lots of other things happened. That was my anime news.
0: Uh, there's there's a lot of anime news. There Um, was a
1: lot, yeah. Uh,
0: Overlord got announced for a fourth season.
1: I saw that
0: which is cool uh the the Evangelion film is now the highest earning of uh that director Hideaki Mm -hmm. Anno Mm -hmm. with at 5 8.28 billion yen Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah obviously there's there's still a lot more
1: uh, one of the biggest things is that uh, Kimetsu no Yaiba Mugen Train officially has been declared the highest grossing uh, Japanese film of all time.
0: Yes. Uh, I There there was one I want to say that's honestly I just thought was really funny. Uh, Russia has decided to ban Isekai anime.
1: About time.
0: I know, right? The rest of the
1: world should follow suit. Uh,
0: but yeah, I guess a judge ruled that they they it it encourages a belief that dying is is like leads to reincarnation and makes you happy instead of dealing with your own family bullshit or something. I can't remember. Oh, it's, so it's they one be- of those weird rulings.
1: So they believe that Isekai is a religion. Yes. Got it. <laughs>
0: I mean, to some people it might be. uh, Yeah, it is kind of a cult, (laughs) hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so... Speaking of Kimitsu no Yaiba, Mugen Train... That's what today's episode is about. Guess what we saw! Guess what we went to go see in movie theaters. I was hoping to get this review out a little bit sooner... Because we wanted to be able to get this review out while it was still in theaters. However, I believe that this was the last... Or this last weekend was the last weekend to go see it in movie theaters. So... And
0: we had terrible schedules. (laughs) Yes.
1: So, the digital uh, streaming and Blu-ray will be released next month, Mm -hmm. June. So this will be a bit of an early review for you guys who are thinking about getting the Blu-ray or are curious about when it'll be streaming. So, and I know it was pretty unfortunate circumstances because a lot of places still had their theaters closed. There was still a lot of restrictions due to the pandemic. And so before we talk about the movie, I did want to talk about how that whole situation was handled whether it was the best solution, or if there could have been other things done. Uh, Personally, I really wish that Funimation would have offered the option of a digital ticket, similar to what HBO Max and Disney Plus have been doing with their uh, services, where, as opposed to paying to go to a movie theater, you could simply pay the price of, a little bit pricier than a normal movie ticket, but then you are allowed to stream the movie in your home earlier than you would when it officially releases onto their platform. And I do think that they absolutely had the ability to do this, and we know for a fact they had the ability to do this, because an employee at Sony accidentally released the entire film onto Funimation's platform. Mm -hmm. And numerous... Funimation users were able to download the movie from the app legally, so it was removed pretty quickly, but there were definitely people who got their hands on that, and even people who didn't download it were still able to watch it. So it kind of bums me out knowing that Funimation and Sony had this ability and chose not to do it. And I, I think that it would have been more beneficial. And I think they also could have grossed more money for the movie as well. Because technically those count as box office yeah. revenue. So, yeah, just a little bit of a misstep on their part. Um, other than that, I do want to say that I feel like movie theaters themselves handled this extremely well. Not only did they uh, make sure that their theaters were abiding by pandemic policies with social distancing, but they also had options where people could rent out the entire theater for themselves and group of friends, so that way the group would be responsible for who would be allowed to go see it, and thus if you get sick because somebody in your group tested positive, that's your own fault and is no longer a liability of the theater. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that movie theaters handled this whole thing well. I think staff of the movie theaters are doing an excellent job of bringing everything back. And I think that this was a fantastic movie in particular to reintroduce people back into the movie theater mm-hmm. system.
0: Uh, I do believe it actually hit the number one in the box office here in the States as well. So, Yeah,
1: unquestionably it did. And I'm not surprised why, when its competition one was not only available to watch streaming like uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, but, I mean, its other major competitor was the Mortal Kombat film, which I didn't even know existed until after it came out into theaters. Uh, I
0: I knew it existed, but I didn't really know... Anyone who was, like, super hyped to go see it. Yeah,
1: I hear it's great if you're a Mortal Kombat fan. But I... Like I said, I knew nothing about it. It wasn't well promoted. I... And it didn't really feel like the kind of movie that you go for an event. Where things like anime films always feel like they're really big events. Because you can cosplay to them. Uh, You can wear a lot of fan merchandise. I know that I wore my Sabito Heori... Uh, which I forgot I was wearing my haori, and I was wondering why people were in the theater were staring at me. But <laughs> <laughs> just a really comfortable haori, so yeah. I this this was just a really really fantastic film you too. Just
0: want to lounge around in it naked.
1: <laughs> if you're wearing a haori, you're not naked. But it is really comfortable. so... <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one of my most comfortable cosplays. Yeah, like I said, this was just a fantastic film for reintroducing people to theater events, and even introducing a new kind of theater event. So I I did want to absolutely just give a shout out to movie theater staff and employees, because I know that coming back to these jobs after year and a half is not easy.
0: Plus, yeah, I'm And I'm it's sure definitely th- <laughs> not the
1: same job anymore. I'm, I'm
0: sure they're dealing with a lot of different shit now as well, so...
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, show some respect for your theater staff. So, yeah, uh, our experience was really good as well, so... Uh, let's talk about the movie. Give an actual review.
0: I mean, we probably only had, what, like a dozen people in in our theater? Oh, yeah.
1: There wasn't very many people in there at all. It was super easy to social distance, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's talk about the movie itself, because this is obviously, like, one of the biggest anime films, well, obviously the biggest anime film to ever exist, and one of the biggest movies in general to ever exist, uh one of the top foreign films, one of the top animated films. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who are mad it wasn't nominated for an Oscar. I was, I
0: was about to say, and it still wasn't nominated.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this... Of this, course not. Yeah, this movie is a big deal. So, uh, I already knew what was going to happen, because I am a filthy monger reader.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: And I will say that one of the things that really shines for this... Uh, as From a storytelling perspective, from somebody who's already read ahead, who already knew what was going to happen, uh, one is the animation. And it was probably the biggest appeal to go see this in theaters, because you could definitely tell that Ufutable designed the animation and the look of this film, knowing that people were going to be seeing it on the big screen... And knowing that people were going to go into it with the high expectations with the last major thing that fans remember being the Tanjiro versus Rui fight, which was the animation that broke the internet. Yeah. And how do you live up to that? You
0: know? <laughs> Right. Uh, I was spoiled with it just a little bit. Cause I saw Yeah, I saw one of those stupid memes that was like... Oh, an anime image can't make you cry, and then it showed an image of
1: Oh, okay, so we won't, we'll, yeah. we'll hold off on spoilers yeah. until the end of this episode.
0: Yeah, I wasn't gonna say. Yeah. But that is what spoiled me if if you know the the thing that you probably know what I'm talking about.
1: Yes, we failed to protect that <laughs> smile. Uh-huh. so uh, but yeah, we'll talk about the spoilers at the end of this episode. This will be a spoiler heavy review. But we'll we'll give you guys warning when we're about to talk about those. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So the animation in this, I think the biggest thing that I noticed was the use of lighting, because it was so important in this film that everything just be lit perfectly, not just for the mood, but the fact that this entire movie takes place in a single night. And, obviously, night versus day is a big deal for demons, since mm-hmm. they cannot be exposed to daylight. So, yeah, everything from the lighting of the cars to the way that the different attacks uh, reflect light off of other things, and the fact that the setting basically doesn't change at all during this entire film. It all takes place literally on a train. Uh, Ufotable had to really make this stand out. And I think that was a big challenge, and I think that they lived up to that. Uh, It definitely has a very different vibe to it than the forest of the spiders or the ever-changing rooms of the one house. And I honestly, even when the next morning, like, finally arrives and we get some sunlight and the lighting changes so drastically, everything about that was just... Drop dead gorgeous. Like it is one of the prettiest scenes I've ever seen come from Ufo Table and that's saying a lot since pretty <laughs> was, is their thing. I
0: was gonna say Ufo Table seems to be have a knack for that kind of shit.
1: Yeah, so I think if you're going into this being like, okay, like how are they supposed to beat Rui versus Tanjiro, they absolutely did. I think probably one of the biggest ways is they continued that use of music like, everybody remembers that song that played during that fight and is easily one of the prettiest songs in the entire series. I think the battle music in this movie is better.
0: yeah, uh, it's actually kind of amazing how how much music has an effect on setting like obviously, you know, if you're at you're playing, Something you know, if it's like a dramatic scene, you don't want to be playing like Benny Hill or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like mu- music has a, a very strong effect yeah. on on the just the emotions of the scene.
1: Yeah, and I think battle music is just one of those things that it it feels like it's just happening in the back of your mind, but it is very very important. And I think Goku's battle music, in particular was really the highlight of the sound direction in this film. And, my God, we don't get to talk enough about, like, score, because neither of us are musicians, neither of us really know, like, what goes into making good music pieces, but I honestly can't think of the last time I felt like battle music was really this impactful on me. Rengoku is just this character that leaves such a strong impression, and the fact that they had to build an entire score... Just around what kind of character he is. Strong
0: impression as a weirdo.
1: (laughs) I think they absolutely (laughs) nailed it for his personality. So, Rengoku is the Flame Hashira, or Flame Pillar, as he's referred to in the manga. And we already know that we're going into this film knowing that Tanjiro has awoken to his uh, Kagura Flame ability. But... He doesn't really know how to use it or where it came from or what the origin of his abilities are. He just knows that it is an ability based off of a dance that his father used to do in order to be more successful with the gods when it came to their coal burning industry. So, because they made coal for a living. And immediately we're told by Ren Goku that the flame... Ability that he uses is not the same thing as Tanjiro's ability. So even though they're both technically fire, it's very, very, very different. Mm-hmm. And we also get to learn really early from Ren Goku that there are five basic elements in the breathing styles that they use... And then everything else stems from those specific elements yeah
0: and and so naturally the five elements are you know your your typical earth wind, fire, you know water uh, yeah, it,
1: lightning, air. fire, uh winds oh I know all of them
0: I say so. stone was one
1: yeah, stone and did I say water so water fire water, air fire, stone air, and stone lightning. lightning yeah yeah and then like the love Hashira love stems from fire uh, the there's one that stems from wind I think it's the I can't remember I believe uh, the bug that Shinobu uses stems from earth I, like be- I believe
0: so because yeah. it was, it's like a wood-based and bugs wood that kind of yeah whatever it, it stems it stems from one of the five main elements.
1: Yeah. So each of most of the Hashira use one of those secondary elements, but the flame pillar and the water pillar have existed in every single generation of Hashira since the very beginning of the demon slayer corporation. Yeah. So, for basically as long as these breathing techniques have existed, there's always been a flame pillar and a water pillar. And... So that is pretty important because Tanjiro was supposed to be the next water pillar. (laughs) That was the whole reason why he was trained, that's what he went through all that stuff for, but now he's turning away from his water breathing abilities to learn more about the Kakura abilities and someone's not going to be pretty happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) And not to mention that the current water pillar, Gyu is not extremely confident in the fact that he even belongs there as a Hashira. He feels like that he didn't earn it, that he's not as strong as the others, even though he literally created the 11th breathing form of water. Yeah. So yeah, he feels like he's there because water has always been a staple in this group. That he's just anybody who
0: like like he's kind of just there by default. Like yeah. oh, there's always been a water pillar. It's tradition. But who else do we have? Yeah, uh, Gyu, here you go.
1: Gyu knows how to breathe water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can he breathe underwater?
1: Yeah. So that that is really important because it's uh I. In season one, Shinobu mentions that none of the other pillars liked Giyu. And that he doesn't have any friends. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why. Is because he feels like he doesn't belong there. That he's not talented enough to be a Hashira. And that he's there by default. Because he's the only water-breathing user that has survived. And the other wa- or all the other Hashira are just kind of like... Well, Giyu looks down on us. Just because he invented his own breathing technique, and just because he's like the strongest water pillar to ever exist, he thinks that we're not cool enough to hang out with. That guy's a dick.
0: Right? God.
1: (laughs) So learning a lot about Rangoku in this film has a lot more to do with the underlying story behind all the Hashira than what the film leads on. Because all of the current pillars have a very very like distinctive like history and past and relationships to each other and so far the only thing we know is that Gyu isn't liked by any of them so and that was a really really big thing that they did with the direction of this film we don't get to see very many of the Hashira for very long in this film but we know a little bit just by the way that they had the camera set up or the amount of time that lingered on each of their shots what their relationship to ren goku was and the thing is that all of them loved and appreciated ren goku yeah he was kind of like that popular kid that makes a lot of friends in every single click and circle and then makes all of those clicks and circles friends with each other (laughs) is the best way to think about it
0: (laughs) freaking weirdo
1: yeah, he's just like, oh, I hang out with the goth kids, I hang out with the jocks, I hang out with the losers, I hang out with the nerds, and I hang out with the emos. And I have a friend in every single one of those cliques, and all of those friends are now mutuals with each other, and now they're friends with each other because of me. And that's Rangoku. Uh,
0: Yeah, we didn't have anyone like that at my school.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either, but my school built to build cliques, like... When you signed up for your classes at the beginning of the year, they were just like, okay, which clique do you want to be a part of?
0: <laughs> Some, sometimes you don't get a pick. You just show up wearing all black and the golf kids are just like, come with us. No, I'm no. not even
1: exaggerating. Like, when you first sign up for classes at my high school, there's what they call academies. Where it's like, you could sign up for the theater academy or the art academy or the science academy or whatever whatever and all of your classes are going to be built around which academy you choose so you literally choose your clique when you sign up for your classes
0: your school was shit
1: yeah it was awful and guess what I chose the wrong one I chose theater like an idiot
0: (laughs) (laughs) boy Was that a mistake? Yeah,
1: I know. I'm never going to use that, I say, as I'm a podcaster.
0: <laughs> never. <laughs> Acting abilities? Pff, you don't need them.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, Rengoku is... He, he seems like he would be a jock, but he's definitely, like... It, his biggest talent is just being kind to people.
0: Yeah, um... He's weird, guys. He's so weird. <laughs> He's <is>
1: so weird. <laughs> and, so the... Like, like our
0: first introduction to him <laughs> is just Tanjiro and, uh, what's his name? Zenitsu. Zenitsu. And Inosuke. And Inosuke. <laughs> all looking for him, because Tanjiro's like, oh, I was told we'll meet the flame pillar on the train. <laughs> So they get to, a you know, one of the cars and, and you just hear, Ah, oh, delicious!
1: Umai! Delicious! Umai!
0: Umai! Umai! Umai!
1: Umai! <laughs>
0: <laughs> to, to which, of course, you know, to Gonpachiro's first response is like, That must be him.
1: <laughs> Every single bite he takes. Umai!
0: Umai! Umai! Yeah. <laughs> oh my god.
1: The manga translated, Tasty! 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 <laughs>
0: got that same dopey look on his face the entire fucking time.
1: Okay, so he is literally, like... Normally, he would have been the stereotype Shonen Jump protagonist.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because he
1: has, like, the 30 freaking, like, bentos that he just finished. Like, these poor women on the train are, like, grabbing, like, sacks to put all the bentos in.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't have thought that a train... Could hold that much.
1: Right. So he's he's obviously has the big appetite. He has the big personality. He's the easily strongest character that we meet. <laughs> and like he's basically like the Luffy or the Goku of this story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he does have that big goofy look on his face. Uh, there's even a point where like Tanjiro is talking to him. And he's just, like, staring straight ahead, looking super proud and smiling, and Tajudo's like, what is he looking at? <laughs> <laughs> to, w-
0: to which he earns the nickname of, uh, what is it, like, Goggle Eyes yeah. from Inosuke? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that, uh, Inosuke literally can't remember anybody's name, with the exception of one person. Inosuke has never gotten Shinobu's name wrong.
0: I mean, he gets everyone else's name right, once in seven times. <laughs> yeah,
1: so it's like once in seven times. Uh, he's never gotten her name wrong ever, and I love it. It's just a fun little thing that you notice later down the series. So, yeah. but yeah, so, Ren Goku immediately just kind of like gives off this impression of being an idiot. But just like every other Shonen protagonist, when we do see him fight holy shit do we see him fight
0: mm-hmm.
1: he is one of the most like plot armor heavy characters in this movie and it he really is like the Goku of Demon Slayer like just absolute idiot but fantastic backstory incredible power system just all around badass and genuinely caring about everybody yeah. And one of his biggest goals that he had was finding a Kohai that he can train and pass on his abilities to.
0: So, of course, you know, with these three idiots, he's just like, yes, I'll take you under my wing.
1: I will be your senpai. (laughs) (laughs) And he's not asking. He's telling them. He's like, oh, yes, of course you want me to teach you. Of course I would be happy to teach you.
0: My my favorite reaction is from Udosuke, because he's just like, man, who is this idiot? I'm going to follow him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so we do learn, like, in the first season, that a lot of the Hashira, on top of having their duties to fight higher-level demons, all kind of take on some role as a mentor. We see that Shinobu has her entire, like, mansion where she has... Lots and lots of students there are training, most of them girls. And we see that all of them have reached different, like, levels, and she has her favorites that are most likely to go on to get their Demon Slayer licenses, and others probably aren't ever going to. Some of them will probably just remain... Those uh, people that just go and clean up the mess after the fight is over. Mm -hmm. But she does take in as many students as she can, and we see that some of the older Hashira who have retired have also taken that on, such as the Water Pillar training, the Children with the Fox Masks, and Zenitsu's teacher taking on his students as well. And so it it is a big role for Hashira to look for a different talent, whether they're already in the Demon Slayer Corps or if they're just children who have potential to learn these abilities and to take them on and learn their abilities so they can become the future Hashira. Yeah. And I think it's such an important thing to learn in this film, just how important that system is, because in the first season we see that the Demon Slayer Corps is really really competitive that there are members that would be willing to let other members just die or get killed by demons if it means that there's a chance that they could rank up and make more money and be closer to becoming Hashida. but I
0: mean we see that fairly early with uh in, in, uh, the episode where Tanjiro breaks the internet, you know? Yeah. (laughs) There's, there's the one, there's the one against Rui, there's the one, uh, Demon Slayer that basically waltzes in. He's like, oh man, this guy looks weak, everyone else died, if I take out this one, then I'm gonna get promoted. Yeah,
1: exactly. You know,
0: so, so we do see that kind of, uh, level system fairly early on.
1: Yeah, and... Our first introduction to the Hashira, almost immediately following that arc, was kind of this negative thing where all of them were kind of turning on each other on how to handle Nesco, and so we're given this kind of really like sour impression immediately that the Demon Slayer Corporation is just kind of awful, to be honest. Like especially when you get further up. But as we learn about the Hashira, especially Ren Goku, we see that they're genuinely good people. And that the reason that they are where they are isn't because they were trying to gain power or fame or any of that. They just genuinely care about this cause. They want to protect their master. They. Don't see him as a boss, they see him as a leader, they see him as somebody that they care about, almost a father to all of them. Some of them were going in for glories, such as Ren Goku's father, and some of them fall from that grace. But for the most part, they just want to save lives. All of them do. Yeah. Even the ones that come across as assholes or dicks when we first <laughs> meet them. And that's why this particular arc was so important in the manga. It wasn't really the most action-heavy arc, and we barely get to meet one of the better villains of the series in this arc. Spoilers ahead. (laughs) Not quite yet, but we will talk about that particular villain in our spoiler part of this episode. Uh, The main villain that we're introduced to at the end of Season 1, that's the main villain of this film really isn't even the one that we should be concerned about. And you don't get to see uh, Mugen at all. So <laughs> I think this was the final arc of the lower moons as well, because we saw most of the lower moons get killed in the last episode.
0: Who, who is Mugen?
1: Wasn't he the the main Did I get his name wrong? The
0: main boss of this? Yeah, the main boss. Okay. Yeah. 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 Probably.
1: So we saw that all of the lower moons except for one were killed in the last episode of season one. So this really is the last fight for the lower six. And to see, you know, the three main characters struggling as much as they do against a lower moon, knowing... This is the last time you get to fight a mid-level boss before you start fighting the big bosses after this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the fact that they have as much trouble as they do is setting the stakes for what future arcs are going to be like. But it also shows us just how damn powerful the Hashira are. We saw it with Gyu when he cut Rui's head off without even breaking the sweat (laughs) when like Tanjiro almost killed himself just to fail at cutting his head off. Yeah. So we see how much work that the main three characters have to go through just to be at a power level strong enough to even like be at a level playing field with these future enemy. And honestly, this arc is the ultimate turning point for everything. And one of the biggest themes of this arc was also the idea of throwing away your past. And that's mostly portrayed through the use of the dreams. So we are going to go major heavy into the plot here. I'm still not going to go into any major spoilers, but we're if you want to go into this movie completely so- blind... This is the end of the review for you yes,
0: guys. Yes, yeah, stop here. <laughs> go check it out.
1: Yeah. So we we talked a lot about just the overall themes and characters, but now we are going to start talking about the plot. So thank you for listening if this is your if this is your, your dropping your, point. Yeah, this is your uh, getting off point. Come,
0: come back and listen if you want.
1: Once the film comes out next month. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate you guys listening to us. For those of you who do not care or have already seen the film and just want to enjoy the conversation with us, we're going to keep going. So Yes. Uh, going into the main plot of this film, so the main villain has a very, very incredible ability to literally make people fall asleep and to give them whatever kind of dreams they want. They could be pleasant dreams or they could be horrifying dreams. And what makes this ability so potent is that he's not creating anything with his own imagination he's literally uses the own person's subconscious and memories against them yeah that everybody has like some kind of core to their mind that basically controls everything from your memories to who you are as a person and that when he could tap into that it will create an entire world just existing within your own head
0: yeah and he 100% uses it to his advantage to the point that he's got, you know, humans following him. You know, mm-hmm. like, they obviously know he's a demon, but they're they're following him even to the point where they're just like, I just want to experience these pleasant dreams, mm-hmm. and if he's going to give them to me, I I'll just do what he says.
1: Yeah, and... The biggest thing for them is how many people are they willing to hurt just for their own goals, just to live the best possible life that they can, and that's one of the big themes of this movie. Is is your own happiness, is your own lifespan and all of that worth the lives of other people? Yeah. Is it worth the life of strangers? And for many of these kids that he's manipulated, in humans he's manipulated, all of them have either experienced massive loss in their life, like loved ones, or they are sickly children who are told they're not going to live very long. One kid in particular has tuberculosis. Uh, various things like that. They basically believe that their own goals and dreams are more important than the lives of strangers. Mm-hmm. And we see that they are just equally as dangerous as demons, even more so because demon slayers, since their technique involves breathing, they can sense demons even if they're asleep. Where, since these children are human, they're not as easily detected. Yeah. So, especially people like Tanjiro that can have a heavy sense of smell. So, we do see that Rengoku is very, very terrified of all people, though. He safeguards himself even against other humans. And to the point where he literally tries to kill somebody in his sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we also see that Ren Goku, there's two different sides of his personality in his dreams. The first dream he has is just him showing off to the other three being a badass, and <laughs> the other three being like, Of course we'll be I, your students.
0: I I love that dream so much because he's just like, Oh, yeah, look at me, look. I killed this demon. That was super easy. And the other three are just like, yay, way, you're so
1: great. <laughs> also, it was just a really early moment for Ufa Table to flex those animation skills because both of those demon fights were absolutely top tier. Yeah. In spite of the fact that they were just generic, ugly demons.
0: Mm hmm.
1: So, yeah, that was <laughs> absolutely fantastic use of both storytelling and animation all put together. Uh,. And then we get to see that he immediately shifts into a completely different dream while he's still asleep. This one being about his past, about his connection to his father, and his connection to his little brother. And, though obviously his father and his brother are going to play major roles in future arcs of this series. But I his little brother is such a good character and the actor they chose to play him in the Japanese version was so fantastic. I think he was actually, to me, one of the standout performances of this movie.
0: Uh, yeah, speaking of which, uh, can can I just say I'm grateful that we went and saw it in Japanese yes. instead of English. <laughs> like, I keep scrolling past, like, uh, the, the preview videos for it and, like, on Facebook or whatever. Uh-huh. And it's always playing in English. And the the guy that is speaking is like, mmm, boy, that voice does not match that person."
1: Yeah, I know that you've been uh, watching the dub on Netflix and I I know that you're enjoying it just fine, but I it's, I can't It's
0: not it's not so terrible that I have to switch back to Japanese mm-hmm. but it's not great.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I feel like it was a dub for dub's sake as opposed to like I don't want to insult any of the Jap- or English voice actors because I know that they're putting in a lot of hard work, but I just feel almost as if something was lost in the translation. For
0: for me it really is just the the particular voices don't quite seem to match up to the characters like the Japanese voices match up to the characters very well like especially Inosuke Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know and then and you
1: can't just Inosuke has one of the best laughs in Japanese ever Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: exactly and and so when it goes over to English and you hear their their dub it just it it doesn't quite hit
1: yeah for me listening to a lot of the English cast when I look at, like, their profiles and, like, other voices that they've done, I feel like they're just mimicking that. It almost has a My Hero Academia vibe to it. And the My Hero Academia dub fits really well to My Hero Academia because it it's a lot of, like, that heroic voices and, like, almost, almost kind of, like, cheesy comic book style acting. And it fits really, really well and it feels like they're doing the exact same thing with Demon Slayer and it doesn't fit quite white as well you're you're putting the wrong shape into the wrong hole there like it we get that it goes with the square hole but <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's the bridge shape where does that go in that's, that's right like, the, the square, square hole. hole yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just a little it, it's fine but it's a little like i said it feels like something got lost where you look at the japanese cast and the amount of shows that they've done and a good example is the voice actor who plays uh zenitsu also did dobby in my hero academia you would never fucking guess those are the same
0: person yeah
1: and you don't even need to drastically change your voice but you also need to understand like the tone of the show is just completely different because of how he handles the character he knows that Zenitsu is a completely erratic person in a different way that Dobby is erratic. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's such a good use of voice acting. And I just, like I said, I don't want to bash on the English cast because I know that they're working hard. But I do recommend watching this one in Japanese because there is so much there that just feels lost. Yeah, no,
0: like like I said, it's, it's not bad. It just it doesn't quite hit. Yeah, like it, it it's it's not a home run like it is with the Japanese voice.
1: Yeah, and like I said, for me the standout performance was the actor who plays Goku's little brother. I should have looked up the voice actor before we recorded this episode. In fact, I actually left all my notes at home. Oops, I was taking notes on things I wanted to talk about, and that was one of them. So I will look it up in the future. But just know that I don't know why his performance stood out to me so much. But I'm really, really excited to see that character return in future arcs because he just absolutely killed it. I think that for me, any time that character was on screen and talking, I was just like... I, I was really emotional, especially as a manga reader who knew what was going to happen. I was like, this is the perfect casting. He,
0: he had some really emotional scenes.
1: Yeah. Uh, Rengoku also was just a perfect cast. Somebody who can go, umai! 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 And then immediately, like, carry the weight of these heartbreaking scenes. Like, the scene where he has to talk to his father, and future spoiler release scenes we'll be talking about here in a minute. Yeah. But, honestly, I think all of the new cast members of this arc were just absolutely incredible. Especially the voice of a particular demon who was going to talk about here in a bit just i genuinely could not have asked for better acting from this movie and it all ties into that what we were talking about with sound design earlier with all the music and everything just came together in this film that was just so great and so fantastic Mm -hmm. there was a lot of love that went into this and i am so happy that they took the time to make sure everything was right because UFO Table has screwed that up before in my opinion. I even with Demon Slayer, there's little things that they've left out from the manga that I'm like, "Why? Why would you leave out these small little heartwarming moments that mean a lot to the writing?" It's
0: and- it's one of those things where it's like, "Okay, I guess it wasn't really necessary, but it would have added so much. Yeah,
1: little things like when they're at the butterfly house Uh, in the anime, uh, Nezuko literally sits in that dark room by herself that entire arc and doesn't do anything, where in the manga, uh, Zenitsu actually sneaks her out so she can go see Shinobu's goldfish and he also is the one telling her about all the training that Tanjiro is doing. And it's supposed to be a bonding moment between Nezuko and Zenitsu, so that way they become more familiar. And she stops seeing him as a family member due to her being hypnotized, and she actually just sees him as a completely individual person who she genuinely cares about. Same with Inosuke. Like, she forms a bond with the two of them the same way Tanjiro has. And by removing that small, little, tiny scene where he sneaks her out to go look at the goldfish we lose a lot of that character development. Yeah. So, yeah, I am glad that this movie did not remove any of those little things, especially when it came to Rengoku's well, well, connection to his family.
0: Well, then, also, that would have affected even, um, like, in this movie, you know, uh, Zenitsu's dream, you know? Mm-hmm. that That would have changed the whole... Tone, because you know, before we basically had this this idea that Kaida Zenitsu was just
1: like it's a one sided crush. Yeah, but. like
0: it's a one sided crush. Like, oh, I love Nezuko, but but then in the dream, you know, it has it's it's him basically frolicking around with Nezuko, and you know, like they're obviously you know being cutesy couple bullshit. You yeah, know? and and so. With Without knowing the you know the goldfish scene,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: just kind of think, oh, well... He's, he's just he's, delusional. He's kind of being a creepy, delusional dweeb. Yeah. You know?
1: And it also makes sense with Inosuke as well as Inosuke's dream. He also has Nesko as, like, one of his main minions or whatever. And he doesn't have her talk because he doesn't see her as somebody who's capable of talking. Because he's literally never heard her voice. But he does see her at the same level that he sees Zenitsu and Tanjiro.
0: I love Inosuke's dream. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. (laughs) Him just running around like, oh yeah, so I'm I'm the leader. Come minions.
1: Yeah. See that him and uh, Zenitsu are both equally delusional. But Inosuke's delusions always seem to line up with reality. Such as him thinking that the train is just a massive monster.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine, though? It's like this massive centipede monster. Yeah. Oh, my God. That'd be scary as shit.
1: Yeah. I do love that they kept in the anime uh, him sticking his head out the window
0: trying trying to jump out, being like, I'm gonna run alongside it!
1: Yeah, like, I, I know everybody, like, when they were the manga, they're just like, as soon as this scene gets animated, this is gonna be the greatest thing ever, just him sticking his head out the window. Oh. Like a freaking dog in a car for the very first time.
0: Our freaking smooth-brained <laughs> boyfriend.
1: <bore> <laughs> yeah, we also do get to see that uh, Nezuko is able to control her magic willingly now. Where in the Rui fight it just kind of happens spur of the moment similar to uh, Tanjiro being able to use the Kagura dance.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Except she is obviously smart enough to actually have basically mastered the Blood Flame. Um, We don't really get to see her develop any of her abilities in this arc other than just knowing that she knows how to use them now. But, boy, do they develop in the next arc. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. Nezuko goes through a whole fucking transformation in the next arc.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've I've seen images of the, the transformation, so... Yeah,
1: another major spoiler. <clears throat> she goes through another transformation in the following arc as well, so Nezuko is just constantly growing as a character, and we do see that the more she is like gaining abilities from that demon blood the more she is going to change and become kind of a unique demon on her own but the difference is that most demons develop those abilities every time they kill somebody where she's gaining those abilities every time she saves somebody so yeah we don't get a seat in this film unfortunately no but yeah, we do get to see all the other characters kind of get to show off some of the abilities that they learn from Shinobu, though, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get to see that Rengoku is just an absolute badass no matter what.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are you talking about when when he's talking to Tan- Tanjiro, and he's like, oh, yeah, you take care of this cart, and I'll take care of the five in the back.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and finally, we get to talk about Tanjiro's dreams, too, because I think that... That took up the bulk of this film. That
0: was, yeah.
1: So it's something that... While this film is supposed to be surrounded by Rangoku, this is a major part of the film where Rengoku's not even a character in it. And that is the idea that, once again, like that theme of what would you be willing to do if it meant that you could be happy? If you could live in eternal happiness, would you be willing to hurt other people? And in the case of Tanjiro, is would he be willing to give up his current goals and his current desire to protect people if it meant he could just go back and live the life that he was robbed of.
0: Yeah, like, in, in his dream, he he basically goes back to his family being alive, you know, and having never been turned into a demon, and he, he even has the impression of, like, oh, man, everything before this just felt like a terrible dream. Yeah. You know?
1: So yeah, and even with the human assassin that's trying to destroy his conscious within the dream, the kid that has tuberculosis, we see that Tanjiro's subconscious is not protective in the way that, like, Inosuke's or Zenitsu's is. When the kids are trying to attack Inosuke and Zenitsu, their subconscious literally fights them. Inosuke in the form of a... Ravenous boar, and then <laughs> just being a complete psychopath. But Tanjiro's subconscious guides the child. Yeah, to his like orb.
0: like they're in inside the dream. There's like the main dream world, and then there's like an outer, uh, like subconscious world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that holds the core of their spirit, and and so these kids have to go into the dream, find the outer layer. And then search around in there for the core and destroy it. Yeah. And the like you said, the one kid in Tanjiro's Dream, you know, gets in there and it's just this peaceful like landscape. It's it's mm-hmm. basically um, you know how like
1: like the Bonneville salt flats Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say after,
0: after it rains at the salt flats where it's just like a col- you know, like a mirrored surface of water yeah. with like blue sky and you know white clouds and just it's just so peaceful. Yeah. And then like what is it? four or five little kid-looking orbs of light basically or just yeah. like, you know, find him, and they're like Yes, we'll we'll take you to the core. And, yeah. You know, obviously they don't say it, but they just they guide him there.
1: Yeah. And the only reason they do it is because he wanted to find it. Yeah. And that's how Tanjiro thinks subconsciously: is just I do things because I'm asked to. If somebody wants something, I will do my best to make sure that they get it. Yeah. And he doesn't see people as malicious or trying to hurt him. They just see he sees people as people. And to a large extent, he sees demons that way as well. He saw Rui the same way he sees his sister. Mm -hmm. He sees all demons that way, even those that have hurt people. And he has to believe that, because if he didn't believe that, he wouldn't be able to continue his journey the way he is. And I think that's what makes him such a good protagonist, is that he's not... Like Luffy or Goku. He's not hyper. He's not constantly trying to protect himself. He doesn't eat a ton of food. He just has his goal and he just wants to complete that goal. And the entire world is telling him it's impossible, and he knows they're probably right, but it doesn't matter. He just keeps going forward. Yeah. And he just cares about people, and that's it. And he's a Mary Sue, but he's a really well-written Mary Sue. <laughs> so yeah, I I love that we got to see this animated as well as we did. Mm-hmm. Everything about it is just pretty and gorgeous and fantastic. And he's not the type of person who would strangle somebody to sleep. And because of that, we kind of get this sense of how the same way that Shonen Jump had to pass the torch under the new generation, the original big three, now relinquishing those tropes and those stories onto the new big three. And Demon Slayer was really one of them. Demon Slayer was the series that finally outsold One Piece. And not just by a small margin, we can no longer claim that the only reason Demon Slayer outsold was because of Specific sales revenues or anything like that. Sure, One Piece is going to continue to make sales because it's still an ongoing series, but Demon Slayer's numbers are an absolute Goliath of the uh, anime franchise, and yeah. seeing like the protagonist, the Luffy and Goku-like protagonist get to pass down. That torch to the Tanjiro type protagonists is literally the embodiment of Ren Goku and Tanjiro in this film. Mm-hmm. So, with that, we are going into really heavy. Here's spoiler. the heavy spoilers, guys. Yeah, so at this point, if you have not seen it, we are warning you please stop listening to this episode now. Please, because I do not want to spoil this for anyone. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening if you are jumping off here. Yeah. So,
0: that being said,
1: those of you who've already watched the film, please continue the conversation with us. So,
0: now for the spoilers. Now for the heavy. Everybody spoilers. dies. <laughs> no. no, not everybody <laughs> dies.
1: So, I remember reading this part in the manga and thinking, this was not that sad. Like, I wanted to be really sad by this. I wanted to cry over this character, and I remember thinking the same thing watching the movie. Being like, I want to shed tears. I This is a powerful character death, and it was directed and animated so fantastically. The build-up, the fight, everything. The music, the mood, everything we've talked about this episode. This was peak performance from a studio that put so much love and care into this but I could not force myself to cry in this scene and I could admit it's sad but I don't feel like it's the saddest character death
0: yeah um I I think you were telling me that they actually changed it a little from the manga like they added stuff
1: they didn't really add it but they definitely dragged it out Like, that fight sequence... The big thing is when you're reading mangas, you as the reader get to control the pacing of it. If the pacing of the fight in the manga had been the same as the pacing of the fight in the anime, that fight alone probably would have been three or four chapters. (laughs) Where in the manga, it really was just one and a half chapters, I believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's because a lot of the dialogue is extremely repetitive. A lot of it is just the one demon constantly being like, Become a demon! Live forever! Continue fighting with me! We can both fight till yeah. our hearts contend! Uh,
0: and, and so, what, what this is, is after they defeat the, the main uh, demon trained demon.
1: Yes. You
0: know, they they defeat him then one of the the big 3
1: yes shows
0: up and the big 3 mm-hmm. fights Rengoku you know and and he is just like, "Hey, you you you're, you're the chosen. Well, you're one of the chosen. You should be a demon and fight me forever."
1: Yes. And that's one of the big things is the uh top moons of the like demon group. I believe it's that all top six have the ability to turn others into demons. We saw that Rui had that ability as well, but Rui was really only able to transform demons into his own kin.
0: Yeah, he was also, like, a special case. Yeah. Like, well, uh,
1: I th- it doesn't really go over it, but I believe that all of the 12 moons have some kind of ability to transform other people to a certain Cause, extent.
0: Because it, it seemed like they were saying they... Uh, I mean, I haven't read the manga, obviously, but, like, <laughs> it, from from little snippets in the anime, what I've caught is it seems like... Uh, what's his name? Muzan? Mizan. Yeah. Uh, he, he basically... He is able to... Give these demons permission whether or not they are allowed to make more demons themselves.
1: Yeah. So that that is true. Uh but the reason why they all have the ability is because the amount of blood that they have. Because uh uh Muzon basically gives his own blood to them as they progress, and the stronger they get, the more blood they're allowed. It's kind of like a paycheck sort of okay. situation. And when you have so much blood, you can then give that blood to others. In the case of Rui, he only had enough to transform other demons into demons like him. Which is why he was able to create the spider demons, even from demons that had no spider abilities. Yeah. But the top six are all able to turn ordinary humans into demons. So, and... It's hard to say whether or not they have permission to do that because obviously we don't see a lot of demons being created by them. In fact, we're told that uh, Muzan is basically the only one creating demons. So we know that anybody who's turned into a demon by the upper six is a very, very rare situation. And that's why the demon we meet in the top three is like, you are the chosen one. He's like, I, I can only do this to so many people or I'm only willing to do this with so many people. It better be somebody worth my time. Yeah. And his biggest thing is that he loves to fight. A little snippet of his backstory that we learn is that he's not a swordsman. He's, he's not using a lot of his special demon powers to be who he is. He is a martial artist at heart. And he was one of the best martial artists in all of Japan when he was a human. And the greatest gift that he has as a demon is the ability to keep improving his form and keep improving who he is so he could just fight anyone. Yeah. And to meet Rengoku, who is somebody who has dedicated his entire life to his breathing form and his swordsmanship, who has, you know, his father's Swordsmanship passed on to him, his mother's uh, strong will and abilities, just a really, really good heritage of lots and lots of flame pillars. <laughs> He's the latest in a like line of absolutely famous swordsmen, so it's only natural that somebody who loves martial arts wants somebody as talented as him to be fighting by his side for the rest of his life. But they only have this night, and only a few hours left of this night, to f- duke it out. hmm And ultimately, again, we go back to that theme of how many people would you be willing to hurt to live out your dreams? And in the case of this demon, he was willing to hurt hundreds and thousands of people so he could continue to fight and Rengoku is not willing to hurt anyone. He's not even willing to let other people hurt anyone. He doesn't want any kind of blood on his hands. He's going to save all 200 passengers of this train, even if it costs him everything. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to his mother's spirit and what she taught him. And it's the same spirit that he wants to pass on to his brother. And it's the same spirit he also wants to pass down to his future students that he never had. It's the biggest reason he wants to be a senpai. It's the biggest reason he wants to be a mentor. He wants those lessons that his mother taught him to live on forever. Because he couldn't save his mom. His brother doesn't even remember his mom. And my god, (laughs) what a... Absolutely beautiful character Rengoku turned out to be. Yeah. And so, like I said, I I wanted to cry because this character is so damn important. And the way he goes out was so damn important. And Tanjiro pointing out that in the end, Rengoku won that fight. Even though he wasn't the survivor, just, just, he was yeah, the winner. Just
0: yelling at the demon running away.
1: Yeah. You bitch, you're the loser. <laughs> Come back here and look at the sun, you you coward.
0: You cowardly ass bitch. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Tonchardo lost another sword. <laughs> <laughs> Swordsmith's gonna be so pissed at him. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I will say that this is not the saddest character death in Demon Slayer and we haven't experienced a lot of character deaths yet as tr- like gruesome and as tragic as, as the series is so far the hardest character deaths we've experienced were Tanjiro's family in episode 1 we see a lot of small time characters get killed like the first time he faces the swamp demon, we find out he arrived too late to save the girl. And the thing is, we get the impression that Gyu also showed up too late to save Tanjiro's family. And that this is a common problem, is that since demons are faster and it's hard to tell exactly where they're going to be, a lot of time demon slayers only show up to clean up the mess as opposed to saving people. Yeah. And because of this, we have experienced a lot of death in this series. We've seen a lot of demon slayers get killed, particularly by the spider family. Uh, But we haven't had a major character death yet until Rengoku. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And his death is what sets up the stakes for the rest of the series. Not only because the lower six moons are now all officially gone, and every demon we're going to be seeing for the rest of this series is at the same level as the demon who killed Goku. These are the upper six. These are... They're demons that have literally been demons for her over a hundred years, the yeah, upper six it, it, have not changed.
0: Yeah, it even mentions it in in the movie. It's the the, the train demon Mugen. He's he's like, oh yeah, I'll I'll after I kill this Hashira, I'll finally be able to get enough blood to go up to the upper six, and it's not fair that they're allowed to stay there since they have so much power. They can be there for 200 years, blah, blah, blah. Yeah,
1: they have remained completely unchanged since they gained their position of power hundreds of years ago, where the lower six were constantly being killed by Hashira and needing to be replaced. So it's kind of a big deal. These upper six have never been defeated by a Hashira. They've never been defeated by any person. They've never even been discovered. This upper three is the first time a Hashira has encountered one in a very long time. And he came really close to killing him. Uh, we also learn, you know, in Season 1, that if any Demon Slayer wants to become a Hashira, the first thing they have to do is to de- defeat an Upper Six by themselves. So... Or, Upper Twelve. Uh, so, technically, Tanjiro and Inosuke have defeated an Upper Twelve. But, yeah. So, they're, they're now on their first step to becoming Hashira. But there's... A lot of steps to becoming a Hashira. (laughs) And as diligent and as powerful as the Hashira are, again, the biggest thing is just the amount of time they've trained. They are all fairly young. They're all in their 20s, maybe early 30s at the oldest. I think the oldest member is like 30. Uh, They don't have as much time to perfect their forms or train as these demons have because these demons have been Get alive for, for 200 years. Of years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another thing is like maybe if Goku had another 100 years he could easily become one of the upper six. But it would mean letting people die. Yeah. And he believes that his mortality is his strength. And he damn well proved that. Mm-hmm. Because... <laughs> Yeah, he might be able to die from wounds. He might be able to be killed if somebody pierces his heart or lung or breaks his ribs or beats him up enough that he can't fight anymore. But any of the upper six could be killed by the sun. They get killed just for something that we humans experience every single day.
0: Ah, good old vitamin D.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That no matter how strong you are as an upper six... Even the biggest baddest demon of them all, the one who started all this, can't be exposed to any kind of UV light.
0: See, see clearly, uh, every everything changes when uh, the Demon Slayer core enters the future and we now are develop you know able to develop flashlights that can make UV light. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like, Sure, you've lived for hundreds of years and you've perfected your martial arts, but, ooh, you can't step out of the shade.
0: (laughs) Ooh, look what I can do.
1: It's 7 (laughs) 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 a.m. So, yeah, that's... I, I love that they paint the idea of both sides of this, the ultimate strengths versus the ultimate weaknesses of both sides. And... It's really up to you as the audience to decide what true strength is and who was the winner of that fight for yourself. And while Rengoku does not have the saddest death, because trust me, there's going to be a lot of pain and sadness in this series from this (laughs) point on. He's the first major character death, but he will not be the last.
0: Prepare yourselves.
1: Prepare yourselves, (laughs) absolutely. There are deaths in this series that have made me genuinely cry. That have absolutely ripped out my heart. And if Rengoku was the one that got to... You're in for a ride. (laughs) But while I don't think it's the saddest, I do think it is the most impactful death I've seen in an anime in a long time. Yeah, Because, I've mentioned this at the beginning of the episode... All of the Hashira had some connection to him. He was the center of their circle. He was the one who brought the goth kids and the emo kids and the jocks all together and everybody cared about him to some level.
0: Which which of the Hashira would you say is the goth kid?
1: <laughs> uh the, the one with the snake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, uh, speaking of him, just a small little director note that I appreciate is when all of the Hashiro were finding out about Rengoku's death through their crows, uh, we do see not only the amount of like time that they sit on their shots, but small things like uh, the framing and all of that. We see... Particularly with him, he's the only one whose dialogue we could hear immediately. Uh, When the crow tells him Rengoku is passed on, his exact words are, I don't believe it. And, mild spoiler, but the reason why is because of all the Hashira, he's known Rengoku the longest. He's known him since he was a little child. The two of them were basically adopted brothers. And to him, Rengoku wasn't just the flame pillar. He was the strongest person in the entire world. He thought there is no demon out there stronger than Reng- Rengoku. He is the hero of this story. He is the main protagonist of everything. <laughs> the fact that he was taken out by number three just is absolutely impossible to him. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that the director conveyed that much information about this character, even if you don't know anything about this character, just by having that shot linger a little bit longer, and just by giving him dialogue, it is so important. And I genuinely am so impressed with Ufa Table's handling of this entire film. Now go make (laughs) Katsukeki.
0: Finish Katsugeki, Finish Katsugaki. You Cowards.
1: <laughs> <sighs> but in all seriousness, like, also, uh, the one pillar, the the one with the uh freaking blinged up headband. Uh, <laughs> his crow got drip. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All the. I-
0: I find I, I find it funny that all of the Hashiro's crows, like, have some sort of something that matches their owner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like one of them has, like, a little feathered thing that comes off his head that matches their, their owner or whatever.
1: Yeah, the one has, like, little bows. Uh, Giyu's has social anxiety.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Relatable.
1: Actually, uh, Giyu's crow is the oldest of all of the crows. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, is actually too old to function properly. Oh no. Yeah, he, he can fly still, uh, but his brain doesn't work very well anymore. So sometimes he'll just walk into battle.
0: Gross. crows has got Alzheimer's. <laughs> yeah, the crow's
1: Alzheimer's. <laughs> there was even, like, a little, like, uh, comic that the Magaka wrote. It was just, like, that shot of Giyu using his, like, breathing technique where everything just goes completely calm. And it's, like, that big dramatic scene, but then, like, his little crow just walks into it, <laughs> and he, like, literally picks up the crow, and he, like, carries him off, and then comes back. <laughs> uh, so yeah, his, his crow is not functioning well.
0: Poor old crow.
1: <laughs> he has the best crow. He's also one of the only nendoroids who gets his crow as one of the accessories, uh, which makes me really want to go get the Giyu Nendo.
0: <laughs> right?
1: So, yeah, Gyu has the best crow. Tanjiro's is a smartest.
0: <laughs> I love Tanjiro's.
1: Yeah. And then uh, Zenitsu's is Z- a Z- Zenitsu-
0: <laughs> Zenitsu's crow is clearly the prettiest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's also done with Zenitsu's shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, all, all of the crows are have their own personality. Uh, they did confirm as well that Inosuke's crow is alive.
0: Well, that's good.
1: Yes, yeah, but he he has been reassigned to a demon slayer that doesn't want to kill him.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Uh so so one last thing. Yes. Um I find it funny that uh I mean, obviously the demon wouldn't have known this, but, you know, putting Zenitsu to sleep during this whole thing is like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the only time he he can actually fight. So it's like, you know, a little little bit of a backfire there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which also, this is the uh, first time that anybody actually realized that Zenitsu fights in to sleep. Because... I I don't know if you remember this, but in the house, the only person who saw uh, Zenitsu fight was that one kid who did not tell anybody that Zenitsu fought. Yeah. Tanjiro and Inosuke never saw Zenitsu take out a demon. They both just assumed that the other one took out a demon.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And in the spider forest, or the spider mountain, uh... Neither of them saw Zenitsu fight that either Even when the lightning strike happened Tanjiro was like What the hell was that Yeah. So nobody has seen Zenitsu fight Until uh, Nezuko
0: mm-hmm.
1: She's the very first person In this group to actually see him fight And she's also the first person to realize That he's fighting in his sleep Yep. So I will say uh, They do know now <laughs> They do know that he's fighting In his sleep so yeah. So
0: so now they just go into battle and you know, conk him on the back of the head like <laughs> good night.
1: I don't think Tanjiro quite understands. I think Tanjiro was just kind of like, "Wow, it's lucky that Zenitsu was still able to be just conscious enough to be able to fight like that." <laughs> and Inosuke is just like, "Dude, this dude's like sleep fighting." <laughs> and is yeah. just like, "I have no idea what's going on."
0: Yeah, that was a thing. Yeah,
1: that was a thing.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, because I, I will say in the next arc, there, there is a moment where Inosuke does fight in asleep sleep again, or as Initsu, and Inosuke is just watching the whole thing. He's like, dude, you got to learn how to do this awake, all right? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> for, for reals. <laughs> it's like, do you know how inconvenient this is for us? <laughs> So, yeah, they they are very much aware of it now. Yeah. Uh, Final thing I kind of want to talk about, because I have seen this comment a lot from fans who also believe that they're critics. And I know that's ironic coming from me. But (laughs) uh, I've seen a lot of people say that they didn't enjoy the pacing of this film. Really? Yeah. A lot of people were just saying, like, this didn't feel like a movie. This felt like... And I think people are immediately equivalenting that to this being overhyped or well, overpraised. Well,
0: I mean, it's, it's not written to be a movie. It yeah. Was, it was written as a manga.
1: And that's what I want to talk about a little bit, is I think people are under this impression that this was an original... Like spin of the series that was created just to be a movie and that's not the case. This was written as a smaller arc that the mangaka created just to tell the story of Rengoku to transition from that early development, like these kids learning how to become demon slayers and fighting the lower moons to now the stakes being raised and Rengoku being that transition. And... This was a very short arc in the manga, and it's a lot of it had to do with the mangaka really not having as much time as they wanted to tell the story that they were telling, but also because uh, Rengoku in particular is a representation of just how delicate a flame is. It's bright, it's beautiful, it can light up an entire room. it has become this, like, well-known metaphor for guiding people, for being the thing that mankind strives for. We Once we invented fire, we were unstoppable, kind of thing. Yeah. But it can be extinguished very quickly. All candles get blown out eventually, and flames have very short lives. And... He is the absolute epitome of that. He's brilliant, he's unique, he's crazy. He'll you can't get too close. Friend and enemy alike will get burned. But once it's gone, it's gone and you have to find your own light. Yeah. <coughs> and this was never meant to be a movie but I think of any arc in this series this was the best one to choose to be a film because Rengoku is a brilliantly short character and I feel like while this isn't your typical film there's a reason it is the highest grossing foreign film to ever exist it's the reason it's the highest grossing Japanese film to ever exist it's... The reason it's one of the highest grossing animated films of all time and Mm -hmm. it's the highest animated film to ever, like, that released in Japan. And I don't think you should go into this thinking this is going to be, like, Perfect Blue or a Satoshi Kon film or a Miyazaki film or Your Name or anything like that. This is what it is. It is a faithful adaptation to an arc that is so important to a series that's so beloved and it is a titan of a franchise yeah so i do think demon slayer has the potential of being considered a classic and i think this film is going to have a big part of that i can't see any of the future arcs of this series being adapted to film as good as this one with maybe the exception of the final arc of the series. I think if we are going to continue kind of the trend. I think season 2 we know for a fact is going to be a season. Uh, I think the arc following that will also be a season. Because I just don't think it would make a good film. Um, and I think the arc following that will also be a season. And then we get to the final arc. Which I do think can be a film okay only the last part of it though <laughs> so it's kind of the, complicated the first
0: the first half has to be a season and then it can be a film
1: yeah i think the final fight against like the big big daddy michael jackson demon i think that could be a film <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think everything else building up to that has to be its own season Okay. So depending on whether we're getting 12 episode seasons or 24 episode seasons, I think we could even shift it around a little bit. Yeah. I think some of them we could afford 12 episodes. Some of them are going to have to be 24, but get ready for the red light district.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Either way, UFO table, uh, they've been handling things really well with basically all of their stuff. So, Mm -hmm. so I think, I think they'll do pretty good with it.
1: Yeah. Uh, you do need to watch this movie before you watch season two. Yes. For those of you who are not aware, because apparently there are still people who are unaware of that. So you do have to watch this movie in order to it's, move
0: on. It's chronological. It's not uh, a spinoff.
1: Yeah. It's not a side story. This, this is part of the series. So yeah, I'm so excited for season two. It will be coming out at the, uh, I believe fall season.
0: Fall. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, I know you guys are going to love the red light district arc. Who um, doesn't love a good red light district? <laughs> we get to meet one of the coolest demons of this series. And we get to meet one of the coolest Hashira of this series and his dripped-out bird, alright?
0: <laughs> I guess, if you say so. Yeah. So. Uh, anyways, um, I think we've probably talked about this long enough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This actually was a longer review than I was expecting, but it was a really good film. So, this yes. review is almost as long as the movie. So An
0: hour short? <laughs>
1: yeah, a half hour, I think.
0: Movie, I swear it was... No, you're you're right because uh, previews were like half an hour long.
1: Yeah, it was about two <laughs> hours. So, uh, with that, thank you guys for listening.
0: Absolutely, thanks for listening, guys.
1: Bye. Bye.